Welcome to the Southwest Church of Christ D6 Bible Class Podcast. My name is Jeremy Poole, and this is the 10th lesson of the quarter entitled Outside the Box, where we will be focusing on Judges 4. As you recall, D6 refers to Deuteronomy 6 that teaches us to love God, love His instructions, and to teach our children and their children to have that same love. This last week, I was reading a psalm that nicely reiterated this message. Using the New International Version, we read in the 78th Psalm, My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Whether you have children in your home or not, I encourage you to daily spend time in God's Word and find someone with which to share the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. Last week's lesson came from Joshua chapter 6 and included the account of how the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho and God caused the walls of the city to fall. There were a lot of things that the Israelites faced and were asked to do that may not have made a lot of sense to them. They followed instructions, however, and relied on God to fight the battle for them. The account in Judges 4 occurs several years later, around 1200 BC, during the time between the death of Joshua and Israel's first king. Most of us are familiar with the pattern portrayed in Judges of the Israelites following God for a short while, during which time a judge would lead them and the Lord would bless the people of Israel followed by a time where the Israelites turned away from God and God handed them over to their enemies. The Israelites would eventually turn back to God and start the cycle all over again. Today's lesson comes from the account of the fourth judge mentioned, which is Deborah. Before we begin, however, I want you to think about what comes to mind when you hear the word apathy. The basic definition of apathy is the lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. The synonym would be indifference. If you look for different people's opinions on apathy, I think you will find an almost universal consensus that apathy is a bad thing. It does not matter what your religious, political, or ethnic background is. Apathy is not considered a good trait to have. I could easily find hundreds, if not thousands, of thoughts on how apathy is bad in some way or another, but I would be challenged to find a serious thought on how apathy is a good thing. One quote on apathy that I found interesting comes from Martin Luther King, Jr. He said, Your life begins to end the moment you start being silent about the things that matter. Similarly, John Calvin stated, 
A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. In Revelations 3.15, it states, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. We find throughout Scripture that God cannot stand apathy. It can be argued that one of the reasons for the cycle found in Judges is apathy. As the people of Israel were blessed by God during the time of a judge, they would begin to grow comfortable and complacent and allow apathy to creep in. This led to the people not following God's commands and turning their back on him. It would take years of hardship before the Israelites would regain an interest and enthusiasm for God and return to him. Apathy can be a very difficult trap to escape from. We should similarly be cautious of apathy in our lives today. Many of us live a life that is extremely blessed. Rather than worrying about whether we will have food to eat or clothes to wear, we, will, we worry about whether our food will be amazingly delicious or if our clothes will make us look good. We don't worry about physical harm because we have a Bible in our home or because we gather with other Christians. We live a life where it is very easy to be comfortable, both physically and spiritually. We must not let this lead to a sense of complacency and apathy in our lives, however. Let's read the first few verses of Judges 4. I'll, again, I will be using the New International Version. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Heresheth Hagoyim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. In this passage, we see the Israelites' cycle of disobedience very concisely. The Israelites experienced a time of blessing and prosperity during the reign of Ehud. When Ehud died, the people did evil, and they were handed over to the Canaanites for punishment. After 20 years of oppression and ignoring God, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. I thought this phrase, cried to the Lord, was interesting. There is no indication of what the Israelites cried out. Did they cry out that they were sorry? Did they cry out that they would serve the Lord? Or did they simply cry out that they were miserable, that they were in pain and suffering? My guess is that it was the latter, for if they were truly sorry for their sin and returning to God with repentant hearts, the cycle we read about in Judges would not have repeated so frequently. No matter what their cry was, the Lord heard them and answered them. I think the same thing happens today. If you look at your prayer life, is there a difference when things are going extremely well in your life than when you are facing hardship or crisis? I'm sad to say that this is true for me. I try to maintain a strong prayer life even when life is great. But when times are tough, I notice that I turn to God even more frequently. 
Let's continue our reading of Judges 4, continuing in verse 4. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord the God of Israel commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and ten thousand men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. So in verses 4 and 5, we learn that Deborah is unique among the judges of Israel. She is the only female judge that is recorded. She also held a very unique role among the other recorded judges. Most of the other judges played the role of a military leader in some way by leading armies like Gideon or killing Israelite oppressors like Samson. Deborah filled a dual role instead that did not include being the military leader. First, she was a prophet. She passed along messages from God to the people. Second, she was a judge. She was one of the few judges that actually filled the role of a judge in the way that we typically understand the term judge today. In this passage, we see that she settled disputes among the people. Her opinion was respected and accepted by the people of Israel. In verse 6, we see Deborah calling on Barak to be the military leader. What Deborah commands Barak to do is very strategically sound. Mount Tabor is 1,300 feet above sea level and would have been a very difficult location for Jabin to take his army of chariots. God was going to hand Jabin and his army into Barak's hands as a result of the cries of the Israelites in verse 3. Similar to other leaders in the Bible, such as Moses and Gideon, Barak hesitates when God calls. His request to have Deborah go with him could be seen as a mark of cowardice. However, it could also just be that Barak knew that the Lord was with Deborah, and he wanted to ensure that the Lord was with him in the upcoming battle. Barak knew that he could not win the battle without the Lord's assistance. Because of this request, Deborah prophesies that a woman would be the one to receive the glory for the victory by killing Sisera. Similar to last week's lesson, Barak was asked to do something that did not make much sense to him. He was asked to face a much more powerful enemy that had superior weapons and that God would deliver the leader of the army into a woman's hand. Barak was obedient, even though some of this may not have made much sense, and he trusted in God. As a result, God delivered the Israelites as he promised. So let's finish reading the chapter 
Uh, we'll continue reading in verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zananim, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his nine hundred chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with ten thousand men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Agoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hatzor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say, no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Aren't these verses encouraging? Here we see an example of God's people up against an enemy that seemed invincible from an earthly point of view. Yet we see in verse 15 that the Lord routed the opposing army, and then in verse 23 that God subdued the enemy king. I don't know what went through Deborah and Barak's minds as they were on top of Mount Tabor, but I could definitely picture myself going through several moments of panic. From their strategically advantageous high point, they likely could have seen Sisera, the enemy commander, gathering a vast army to attack them. While Barak may have taken a little assurance from being located in a position where it would have been difficult for the chariots to be included in the attack, he was still facing the rest of Sisera's army. I don't know how many men were in the rest of Sisera's army, but based on the op oppression that the Israelites had suffered, I would assume that the force was much larger than the 10,000 men that Barak had assembled. At this point, Barak receives the command from Deborah to go down off the mountain to where the chariots were and attack Sisera. I can picture myself saying something to the effect of, Hold on now just a moment. Why don't we hang out here a bit longer and see if Sisera's army will attack us up here where we have a little bit of an advantage? Instead, 
we see Deborah reassuring Barak that God was going to give Sisera into his hands and that the Lord had already advanced ahead of him. To his credit, Barak obeys and heads down the mountain, and when he obeys, the Lord routs the army. We see that the Lord did not just defeat the opposing army, but he completely annihilated. There was not a single man left of Sisera's army. Somehow, Sisera gets separated from the rest of his army, which is getting soundly defeated, and he flees on foot from the raging battle. He comes to Jael, thinking her to be a friend who could help him out of a jam. And while she pretends to help him out, she secretly takes a hammer and a tent peg and kills him. I'm impressed with Jael, and I'm not sure that I could have done what she did. She remained calm when faced with a very difficult decision. Should she help a man with whom her family had an alliance? Or should she refuse to help him as he was very obviously on the wrong side of the battle? She calmly reassured him and put him at ease rather than directly opposing him where he may have been able to overpower her. She was able to clearly choose the best tools at her disposal and resolve the issue after she cl cleverly got Sisera to sleep. As a result, she received the glory for killing the enemy commander. In the last couple of verses of the chapter, we see that God did not stop at defeating Sisera and the enemy, the enemy commander and his army, but that he also subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan. This was a complete victory that should have ensured the Israelites with many years of peace and prosperity. So what do we learn from the Judges chapter 4? The first lesson I think we should learn is that we should do all that we can to prevent ourselves from being in a situation similar to the one that the Israelites found themselves in in the first two verses of Judges chapter 4. The Israelites found themselves, apart from God, suffering at the hands of people the Lord had allowed to rule over them as a result of their disobedience. As I mentioned earlier, it could be argued that the Israelites may have fallen into the trap of complacency and apathy that led to their disobedience and departure from God. So what can we do today to keep ourselves from falling into the same trap? How do we keep alive our passion and our excitement for following God and obeying his commands? What can we do to keep that spiritual fire alive in our hearts? I do not know what that is for you, but I do know that asking God to help you in this area is a good place to start. In verse 3 of chapter 4, we saw the Israelites crying out to God, this is often the first step that needs to happen for a relationship with God to be restored. God desires for us to confess our shortcomings and express our need for his salvation. God desires for us to put aside the sin in our life that prevents us from having a relationship with him. I also know that it takes time with God to feed that passion to obey him and follow his commands. Daily spending time with God in prayer and reading his word are important steps. Finding ways to use your God-given gifts to serve others also helps to keep that passion alive. We should look for ways to surround ourselves with other people who have that same passion and commitment for the Lord who can encourage us 
and keep us accountable when we become complacent. Another lesson to learn from Judges 4 is that we should always trust and obey the Lord. Judges 4 shows God using many different people to accomplish his purposes, as well as non-intuitive strategies to win a battle. We should not assume to know better than God and think that our way of doing things are better than his ways. We need to trust and obey God even when things do not make sense to us. In Judges 4, we see that God is the sovereign Lord of all and is victorious. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 and 58, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Even though we may face all sorts of struggles and hardships, the Lord is on our side, and he is more powerful than the enemy. By obeying and following God, we will receive victory. Thanks for listening to the Southwest Church of Christ podcast. I hope you have found this lesson to be encouraging to you in your walk with Christ. God bless you.